everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Hey Tex, we're going to go back to the hotline. I think we're going to pull it. Oh, you got to. That's you, it. You got to view hotline. That. Is that the hotline? That's, it's hot. It's hot. Oh, man. I thought that was your slack annoying the shit out of me. It's slacking off over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, you know, we got this thing called the hotline. I know we haven't revisited it in a hot minute, but if you're interested in sending us a question to the hotline, 929-464-464. 929-ing-ing. Zero. Yeah. If you want to get a hold of us, want to leave a question, anything burning in your mind with deep desire to know, like what kind of hair care products Tex uses, maple wh- syrup, what his favorite penguin is, the premier penguin. Yeah, the strength. P- <laughs> I don't oh, know any other. Penguin. Oh, the S and C penguin. You mean not the? Uh, the oh, no, I'm going Colin Farrell in the new Batman. Oh, I like that penguin. Real weird, real short, Danny DeVito esque. Uh, that's how I imagine the penguin being. Just very Danny DeVito esque, <laughs> very short. So ugly. driving a minivan, just old. Like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Penguin, that type of penguin is what I'm really looking for. So I say we pull back, we have Charles fire up one of these questions, let's randomly pick one, and let's see what we come up with with one of our listeners, if one of the burning questions they just have to know. So Charles, cue that bitch. Hey, Power Athlete, this is Jack. I've got a question for you based off the Brandon Lilly uh, podcast episode. I know, John, you mentioned you're a huge fan of cast iron, and so am I, but and I don't know if I'm venturing into the weird cat- category of nutrition. You gotta ask, you probably I've are. really moved away from cast iron because most cast iron pans need to be seasoned with flaxseed oil or grapeseed oil or some highly processed industrial seed oil. I know one of the huge rules at Power Athlete is don't be weird, especially with nutrition. But I'm just wondering, have you guys found a suitable replacement to season a cast iron pan that isn't going to make you sick? long term one more question i have and i don't know if uh, tech is willing to share this but how much liver re- were you eating and how did you cook it i'm trying to eat some liver myself and i'm just curious how you're cooking it that you're able to put down enough to get you toxic glad to hear that you're feeling better but just curious and how that liver journey went from you thank you so much and uh you guys put out great content i thought the brandon lily episode was one of your best have a great day Bye. Bye. Uh, man, a, two, a two-parter. Well, first, let's start with the cast iron. How long do you think cast iron pans have been in existence? I don't know the answer to that. Let's look it up. Well, Enhance. it looks like cast iron pans were first used in the Han Dynasty in China around uh, 220 AD. Casting techniques became widespread in Europe in the 16th century. I wonder how they season their pans in 2020 AD in China. Do you think that they were using highly processed seed oils? No. No. Fat. Do you, do you think in the 16th century in England, they were going out and processing flaxseed for them to season their pans? I don't even think they knew what a flaxseed was. No. Jesus. Dude, no, we don't use high processed uh, seed oils. I use either tallow or beef lard. So, uh, like a non-crazy person that doesn't subscribe to the internet, uh, I've seasoned both using lard, animal fat, which is a pretty good one. 
I've done 500 for an hour, um, maybe even a little bit longer. I've like preheated the pan. I've done a couple different. We have these bitchin' uh, butter pad pans that I got through the Cowboy Cauldron people. And since I gifted you, because, you know, I went over to your house and you had some really abysmal pans and needed to gift you with some badass cast iron ones. So what I found is I use animal fat. I've used uh, beef tallow or lard um, for all my casting of pans. I don't use vegetable seed. I don't use grapeseed or rapeseed or uh, um, flaxseed or any of that, even though I know people do because it's cheap. That's mm. the biggest reason because mm. it's a cheap way to do it. You spend a couple hundred dollars on a really nice cast iron pan. I'm not fucking using... Uh, flaxseed oil in it. I'm going to go and get some bitch and tallow. I'm going to get something from the butcher and I'm going to do it right like they probably did hundreds, thousands of years ago, not using seed oil. So to squash that one, go find some beef tallow, go get some lard, anywhere yeah. you want to do it. Uh, you can go and get it at Whole Foods. I guarantee they have lard at Whole Foods. Is ghee lard? Uh, no, ghee is actually a process or a um, uh, made from butter. Oh, so I, I use ghee. Use ghee. Is yeah. that a negative? Uh, I don't use butter because it uh, it tends to burn pretty easy. Whereas uh, the beef tallow and that one gets real, real hot. Mm. So um, mm. and when I season pans, I don't season them in the house. That's another big one. So what I did when I seasoned my pan is I put it out on that cowboy cauldron, built a monster fire, put it on there. Because if you put it in enough and you do it right, it's going to spit and pop and totally fuck up your kitchen. So I remember one time I preheated the pan thinking I could do that. That was another one I did. But um, you got to be able to smoke that sucker. And then you just have to be super consistent with using it. I either use coconut uh, oil or I'll use some form of uh, duck fat. And I use a bunch of different stuff. Whenever it's done, I always let it cool down, pour a little water in it, let it sit overnight, let everything get kind of soft. And then I'll take like a bristle pad brush and I kind of brush everything off. And then I uh, wipe it down or actually... Don't wipe it down. Put it on the stove wet. Turn on the heat. Let it heat up. Once it starts to get dry, I'll put uh, oil back in it. Wipe it all out with a um, paper towel. And then I let it sit and it's ready for the next time. And I found that, you know, the first time, the first couple times you cook on it, you're going to skunk the pan. The problem is don't go in there and scrub it. You got to like soak it overnight. Just put some water in it. Let everything get broken up. Use a little bit of bristle or not a bristle pile, just like one of like the nylon brushes. And you kind of brush them. And then once they look kind of chalky and dry, put it on there, heat it back up, and then put the oil back on it. Boom. The butter pans, they also come with a little scraper. Yep. Which, awesome. I just keep that clean yeah. by the sink. Yeah, so uh, a bunch of people, when it's real hot, you'll like clean it. But on occasion, you do skunk the pan. Like I've skunked it. Like there's certain things that tend to What's skunk. skunk? Just leaving the burn on there? Uh, like, you know, like when you cook sometimes and like you'll do a steak and everything's fine and then the thing looks great. You can just like kind of like take a paper towel and just wipe it out and it looks golden. And then other times like it sticks and just basically like fucks up the pan where you got to like soak it, kind of scrub it down and like kind of do a little restoration on it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. No, I'm perfect every time. Uh, you're, no. you're extremely lucky. That happens to me every time. <laughs> I didn't know that was wrong. Uh, no, that's called skunking the pan. So when you skunk the pan, it's when you leave like a bunch of bullshit, you overcook it, you don't do it right. Like you get to the point, well, but, you, but you have to like skunk the pan until it really gets seasoned. And the only way cast iron pans get seasoned is through a ton of use. Mm. That's why, I mean, it's obviously great to buy nice cast iron pans, but the best cast iron pans were like ones that we got from um, uh, the secondhand store. Or like if you were able to go to like an antique store and find like a really old 
you know, cast iron pan that, you know, some grandma from like the early turn of the century had been using for 50 years, that's the one you want. Because you basically fry it up and, it, and it's perfect because she spent years skunking the pan until she got it perfect. Yeah. I believe Callie's got a bitch in one. I believe that she found it at a second hand yeah. store decades ago. So I, I actually have a uh, Dutch oven that I got from Butterpad and I seasoned that. And if something like uh, uh, pork or any uh, lamb or anything that I have is going to really like kick up and like spit a lot, I'll put it in there. And that's actually turned out to be pretty good. And then I made like cornbread and I've done some uh, oh, yeah. German pancakes and I've done those in there. And that usually comes out pretty nice. Yeah. Cornbread staple, uh, heated up a little bit. So some tactic calories, fire salt mm. and jalapenos. Easy go to yeah. guilty pleasure because you got that little pan. I don't want to cook cornbread in that big one yeah, well that's what that, that little pan is designed for so I, I have like the big pan and then i just got that little dutch oven and that thing cooks really well um but yeah beef tallow or lard don't fucking use uh seed oils and uh, i'm kind of amazed maybe he was fishing that feels like an easy win with using the google box do i have to use seed oil to season a pan i mean they, the internet would say no you don't i didn't even know that was the thing of course, didn't, I didn't know anything you just said either. <laughs> well, uh, there, uh, man, I mean, cooking has uh, obviously been like a, a huge part of my life. I mean, we were, since I was a little kid, like my job was always like, I was my mom's sous chef. I did like cutting up all the vegetables and would make all the sides. And I've done that since I was cashew's age, since I was five or six. And I remember like standing on a stool, basically working that knife. And um, so much so that I think it's hilarious that I was actually... Uh, trying to pull something out of my safe and I pulled out the Bowie knife that my mother gave me when I was six years old for my, for my six, uh, for, for Christmas on my six, six, I was six years old Christmas and it's, I still have it. It's this bitch and Bowie knife. You got to put that on Instagram. Yeah. It's cool as shit. And, um, uh, she got my initials engraved in it cause I was always into knives and always cutting stuff. And she was like, well, you're six years old. I guess you time for you to get your first Bowie knife. The blade is like nine inches and it's a bone handle. It's pretty cool. It's a German German steel Bowie knife. So I've always, I think since then I've always been a fan of Bowie knives. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. If you enjoyed this podcast and you're interested in supporting Power Athlete and getting involved with Power Athlete, myself and the crew here in Austin and in the global network, you can do it a few different ways. You can link on shop.powerathletehq.com. You can buy merch, you know, be the hammer, uh, move the dirt, all the really amazing merchandise that we put together. And we're going to have a bunch of cool stuff coming up here at the end of the year for Black Friday. Uh, that's going to blow your mind. We also have the best training programs in the game. I think the most efficient, most powerful, uh, well thought out, elegant programs that you will find. We're easy to get a hold of. Just go to powerathletehq.com, look for training. It's going to take you over to our best in class partner, Train Heroic, where you can look at Jack Street. If you're just trying to put on thick gobs of muscle and you want to get jacked as fuck, Jack Street's your program. We got Field Strong train like an athlete, allow us to foster and develop athleticism. That's really our flagship program for trying to make athletes more athletic. We got Bedrock, that beginner program. We got Grindstone for those of you guys that are in the fight, need a flexible program that lives with you. If you're still into getting your face melted by the dirtiest, nastiest, saltiest wads on the planet, check out Johnny Wad. If you're looking for a little bodybuilding, check out Johnny Bod. And if you're looking for a program, if you're in a situation where you go in harm's way, you're looking to kick in doors and take names and break hearts and all that good stuff, check us out at Hammer, the Holistic Athlete Movement Readiness Program that was developed 
with some of the baddest dudes on the planet. So you can check us out in the programs. If you are interested in getting involved in the Block One Network with Power Athlete, you can first check out academy.powerathletehq.com. You can check out our methodology. And if you want to go that Block One track, travel out here to Austin and prove that you are composed of the metal that we're looking for to be in our Block One Network. So we're easy to get a hold of. You can support us in any way. So if you uh, are enjoying this podcast and really like this content, Find a way to get involved. Giving you a couple different options. We're looking forward to seeing you. Thanks. It's pretty awesome. And now you're in Texas and it's like, all right. I, I guess you can just rock a Bowie knife. What I would really like to do is just get like a cool like six gun rig. Like just roll around like like a pistol on your hip. Like like not like the weird open carry guys, but like, you know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. like I, I've seen the open carry stuff. It usually makes me a little nervous. But like one that was tastefully done. Well, yeah. I mean. Just like they did in the Wild West, you just gun is normal, yeah, on your hip. Yeah, the problem is, is every time I've seen somebody open carry, it's usually something kind of ridiculous, like uh, obnoxious or ridiculous. Uh, obnoxious, ridiculous. Like I saw a dude like open carrying like a forty-four mag with like a twelve-inch long barrel. I mean, if somebody was going to attack that dude, he'd probably have to hit them with the gun before he could draw it. Yeah, that's a long draw. Yeah, it's super long draw. So yeah, but uh, the cast iron pans uh, don't cast them aside. Look at that. Oh, was that a oh, that was a little pun? Ingo right now has peed himself a little bit. Assuming he still listens to the podcast. Yeah, he does. He worships <laughs> the whole collection. Ingo has no other life other than Power Athlete Radio. And Adam Campbell. I mean, without Adam Campbell, there is no Ingo. Let it go, man. Yeah. He's just a guy. <laughs> uh so for cast iron pans, uh, you got two options. You either go out and you buy a pretty nice one. I mean, I've seen cheaper ones online. Um, and never had great experience with them. So it wasn't until, uh, well, I mean, dude, they they have them all over Amazon. People make them. But I wanted uh, cast iron pants that were kind of made uh, with sand casting and kind of in in an older process. And uh, when I got the Cowboy Cauldron, uh, they had a deal for the butter pad uh, uh, cast iron pants. And, dude, at that point, I was like, send me one. So and I've been in love with it ever since and had a couple others. And now it's my go-to gift. It is an excellent go-to gift. You know what? If somebody gives you a gift and it's a nice cast iron pan, you're never upset about that gift. Maybe socks, uh, booze, uh, you're trying to tell me something. Cast iron pan, you're like, fuck, dude. I'm probably going to have this for a long time. My kids are probably going to have it. It's like the Sornex equipment. I joke, my kids' kids are going to lift on that shit, assuming they want to lift weights. No assuming. They will. Yeah. Um, because that's all they'll know. Yeah. It'll be normal. I can't wait to just, yeah, that is normal for people. It's weird not to lift weights. Yeah. So let's get into liver. Uh, quickly. Were you cooking the liver in a cast iron pan? I hope not. I didn't have it then. Oh, God. I was making too many mistakes. I was on a even worse. Here's what did me in. Microwaving liver? A Teflon plant p- pan. Oh. And I didn't know it was Teflon until like I did a steak on it. And put this, the Teflon plant into the oven and had trusty oven mitts, which are no problem with proper cast iron. Grabbed the Teflon pan with the mitt, burned through my oven mitt. Freaking got a, got a little toasty on my hand. And then I'm like, what the fuck pan is this? Oh, geez. So immediately threw out that pan and then was gifted the, the cast iron here shortly thereafter. Serendipitous. Yeah, the Teflon is, uh, is pretty dicey. If you read some of the research, you're like, oh, God. Oh, know. I'm destined for stomach cancer or <laughs> lung cancer. Was it from the smoking Teflon out of your oven? 
No, no, no. From college, we used to have house parties in the basement. And then to sacrifice, we don't want police showing up. People were allowed to smoke in our basement. I didn't ever smoke a cigarette my entire life, except for in college. It's probably like freaking just consumed a lifetime worth of cigarettes uh, in man. a couple of years. I haven't seen anybody smoke in a while. I've seen some people smoke some cigars. I feel weirder seeing people vape than smoke cigarettes. Like when I see people vape, I'm kind of like, ooh, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, I don't. Even, I have no opinion on that. I just it's frowned upon from my side of things. But the liver. So at H E B, which is local Texas supermarket, the Heeb, the Heeb, they offer Skylark calf liver. Mm, delicious. Yeah, <laughs> sixteen ounce packs. So four individually wrapped pieces. Four ounces. Four ounces. Well, those 16 who, divided by four? Yeah. Four, four ounces. So 16 ounces a week. So you're doing, how, like, how many, like were you eating it every day? Four nights. So, so four nights for dinner, you're having four ounces of liver. But that's all you were having? Were you having anything else? No, but I was cooked on Teflon. Oh, I think I want to throw up. That's a lot of liver. Okay, but it was $4.50 uh, for four meals. Were you just cooking? <laughs> it's cheaper than banquet microwavable dinners, John. Uh, were you cooking just the liver? Were you doing liver and onions? Were you doing it? Just the liver. So what I do is I freeze the liver, and then I cut it up into frozen cubes. Like I mm -hmm. cube it up into like probably half ounces, and then I eat like maybe four or five, six of those cubes like maybe once a month. Yeah, which that's is more than enough. A good strategy. I'm so, still coming down from my A's, so I don't need that. So my mom always told us liver and onions is good about once a month, just long enough for you to forget what it smells like cooking it, for you to cook it again. I eat for performance, not taste. Uh, the yeah, and then uh, I also tried like calf liver chili, just to cook uh, cook it down or like just choke it down, but mm -hmm. then realized I'm ruining chili. Yeah, and it lasts longer, so I'm just gonna s just suffer. I think the best, the most tasteless way is to freeze it and then cube it. Like it well, doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. Also heart, you can do that with. Uh, heart, I, we've talked about, man, I make those heart tacos and I cook them for like two days in the crock pot and it cooks down. And what's cool about heart is it gets like real, well, it's smooth muscle, but it, you can cut it into these strips. And uh, man, we made heart tacos and um, I am still to this day a big fan of it. Dude, when that massive buffalo heart showed up, I mean, the thing was like 12 pounds. I actually had to cut it in half and cook it in two batches. And the kids are like, this is delicious. And my wife's like, don't tell them. Don't tell them. I'm like, it's heart. It's buffalo heart. And then I showed them a picture. And they were like, oh, God. After they, they were done. Again? Uh, no, I'll let them sneak up on it again. Maybe stay classy. You'll sell me another buffalo heart. Maybe. So, uh, liver, two to three, maybe four ounces once a month. Don't eat it four times a week. And if you're going to season a pan, lard or beef tallow is pretty good. And once you get that pan seasoned up, if you want to do a really cool thing, do French fries or um, not French or uh, not white Yuka. potato fries, yuca fries oh, or sweet potato fries and use duck fat. So you can go damn. and buy duck fat at Whole Foods. Um, it's in a jar. And I was basically pan frying up yuca and sweet potatoes in duck fat. And the whole reason I thought about it was, you remember in John Wick, when he comes in to kill John Wick 2, when he comes in to kill the dude and the guy's like duck fat, it makes all the difference right before he gets shot in the face, Thank John you. Wick T. Um, I can't remember the name of the Italian dude who basically pay, uh, gets John Wick to kill his sister so he can take control of the, of, of the table. Yeah. 
I saw it once. Uh, I need to see it again. Well, in there, he talks about duck fat. And duck fat's pretty good. So if you want to fry something up and you want some bitchin' yucca fries or some great sweet potato fries, duck fat is the way to go. We got time for one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Speaking of fat. Ah, let's do it. See that transition? Ah, I like it. It's I like getting it. better. You, <laughs> we <Here's>, can argue. <laughs> All right, question here. Okay. Text message versus our voicemail. All right, read it out. Winter is coming, which means heavy sweaters and bulking season. I'm trying to optimize the amount of muscle gained without the worry of taking my shirt off. What percentage body fat should I aim for to build the most amount of muscle over the next three months? Is this a green light to go to town on Oreos and a Ho-Ho's or stay relatively dialed in with an eggnog here or there? <sighs> so what is the ideal body fat for gaining muscle? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, and then gives a time frame, assuming that they're going to lean for uh, man. I'm not, I'm not a fan of this whole like bulking and leaning thing. I think it's something that like internet has folklored in this idea of like bulking and leaning. I think uh, you should always try to be able to carry the most amount of muscle with the least amount of body fat just in the sink of metabolic flexibility. And we can always link up my talk that I did for the NSCA or cut some of that in on the metabolic flexibility talk. But um, what's pretty interesting, and in that talk I reference and talk about how oxidative fat is. So what's pretty fascinating, if you look at like, if you wanna have a healthy androgen profile, it begs the question, like what is an ideal body fat? And I think the least amount that you can carry, it being oxidative. So what's fascinating, and you need a healthy androgen profile, and fat definitely affects being a healthy androgen profile. So you got to remember 50% of testosterone in adult males is bound up by uh, albumin, which is the protein made in your liver. 44% is bound to sex hormone, sex hormone binding globulin, which is also produced in the liver. And about two to 3% stays free form. And that free testosterone is really what we're kind of trying to protect. Um, the higher your sex hormone binding globulin is, the least amount of free testosterone you have available for trying to put on muscle and, you know, having a healthy androgen profile. What's pre- what? May I pause you for one yes. moment? Can you explain what is an androgen profile and then how do people get it? Where is it lined up on their blood work or uh, ask the doc? Yeah. So when you, uh, these are all your sex hormones. This would be like free testosterone, total testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin, estradiol, estrogen. Uh, these would be all of what would be characterized as your sex hormones things that we could take a look. Like I had a guy hit me up on Facebook telling me he had a low sperm count. My first question is, do you have a low sperm count or do you just have weak swimmers? Because there's a lot of times where some people just have lazy swimmers and they're very inactive. Other times the sperm count is super low. So why is it low? And just asking me, hey, what supplements can I take to raise my sperm count? I mean, fuck, Google the internet. Uh, you will have an endless amount of different remedies and everything from like, rhino horn from africa that the chinese believe helps with virility and sperm count i mean there's so much bs in there but at the end of the day uh, as a healthy male you should have a good sperm count but that's going to be dictated upon having a healthy androgen profile so if you want to go see your doctor this would be what would be characterized as like what my sex hormones what does that androgen profile look like um, you know depending on the test you're going to see a range in testosterone you would like to be in the upper part of the range which if you're, you know, looking at like a Vibrant America or LabCorp or, you know, something like that would probably be anywhere from like a 250 to, you know, 1250 kind of a range. 
Um, what's wild though, we were recently looking at some blood work and some of the guys had good total testosterone, but that's not what's really important. How much is bioavailable? Like we said, 44 gets bound up by the protein made in the liver. The other part gets bound up with the sex hormone blinding globulin. And we're really looking for that free form. And, uh, these guys had sex, sex hormone binding globulin that was through the roof. Now what's pretty interesting and this could be from oxidative stress, this could be from the environment, uh, leaching plastics, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, our grandfathers, and there's a, somebody could make a really good uh, case that we are not nearly as robust as our grandparents, that every generation is less robust, both genetically, both physically. So our grandfathers probably had a uh, sex hormone binding globulin of maybe like seven to 10. Now their range is in the 40s, and we see people pretty regularly in the 70s. Now what's, what's cool, or what's interesting, because we found a new pattern, the guys that we were recently looking at blood work on, theirs was high, but yet their estradiol was super low. So normally when estradiol is high, we'll see it high. So it's pretty interesting, and when estradiol is low, now you have to start looking at environmental factors. You know, is it lead poisoning? Is it uh, environmental? Like what's causing this leaching plastic? You know, if we uh, go back to uh, John Sapolsky's podcast or the one we did podcast, we did with John Sapolsky talking about leaching plastic, you know, being a huge determining factor for this stuff. So, um, you know, the uh, it's been pretty well established through the studies that obesity has an impact on the hypothalamus pituitary uh, testicular axis. So what's known as the HPT axis, which if you were to just kind of imagine two points, right, is kind of balanced. So when an individual, let's give you an example, when an individual were to ex inject exogenous testosterone, like you were to go on testosterone replacement, that axis would get skewed because the body cannot make uh, like a d differentiate between like exogenous and endogenous. It just knows it has too much testosterone. So what happens is the body realizing you have too much starts putting the governor on and now all of a sudden it signals for the testes to not produce as much testosterone. So it does it by like reducing luteinizing hormone and some other factors. So what happens also, and this would happen for somebody that would go on hormone replacement. So you hear guys take steroids, they inject a bunch of exogenous testosterone. Now all of a sudden their nuts start to shrink and shrivel up because the body is sending a signal to shut the testes down. Now for men, most of the testosterone is made in the testes. A uh, small percentage, like less than 10% is made in the adrenals. For women, it's purely in the adrenals, so obviously it wouldn't affect women the same way. Uh, they would have a whole bunch of other issues if they were to inject exogenous testosterone. But it starts skewing that axis, and now we have the body dropping luteinizing hormone, and we have a bunch of other issues. Now, if you're not trying to have kids, you know, like uh, you get to the point you're, you know, in your 40s, you've already had a you know, vasectomy or whatever, and you've decided like, hey, I'm not going to have any more kids and you want to go on some form of hormone replacement, not necessarily a big idea as long as some of the other values are in check, like estrogen's not too high and, you know, you're not super physiological with testosterone in the two and three thousands. Um, also controlling DHT. Uh, DHT is also directly related to enlarging the prostate and also hair loss, which, you know, as men age, one thing you don't want to do would be as bald and you don't want to have a huge fucking prostate because when that prostate swells, now all of a sudden that pushes on your bladder, and then you you know it's like old men that have to get up and pee fifty times in a night. Yeah, like um, 
more Jerry Stiller in Zoolander. Yeah. yeah, he's like, ah, he's like, give me a little pee pee. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Swollen prostate. So you have the sensation that you got to go pee, but you really don't have to. It's fucking terrible. So uh, definitely get that, uh, the uh, PSA numbers, which are the numbers for the prost- or for prostate health. That's really an important part of that, uh, that whole deal. But it, studies have shown, like I'll say, studies have shown that circulating antigens are negatively associated with too much abdominal fat for men. And this is an, ex- uh, an interesting connection between low androgens and metabolic uh, syndrome and the lack of metabolic flexibility. So for... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Also, leptin, which is a hormone that's produced that's related to insulin, mm-hmm. right? So it's that's produced in an adipose tissue, and that influences functions of the testes both directly and indirectly. So there's a couple of things that are going on here. That's a lot of things. Yeah. So the idea of, like, what's the ideal body fat to be able to put on muscle? Uh, enough body fat where you can handle the load. You know, you feel like you can train at a high level. Um, you know, I mean, if you, we, we have Jay Cutler coming on the podcast and he'll talk about, you know, the dark days and when he was in bodybuilding, trying to, you know, carry 260, 270 pounds of body weight at 3% body fat. It's fucking awful. In the off season, he was probably anywhere from 14, 18, 20% body fat because he could train with a ton of intensity. He could handle a ton of poundages. And he knew that, you know, when he turned on his diet 20 weeks later, he could go from, you know, 300 plus pounds down to 250 pounds and not lose an ounce of fat. Um, so, uh, the idea of what is the ideal body fat for gaining muscle, I would say the leanest that you can be with the, while carrying the most amount of muscle will guarantee that you are the most metabolically flexible version of yourself and will protect that androgen profile. So, I don't know what that is, but I definitely know that if you're thinking like, hey, I'm going to bulk and be 30%, don't fucking do it. 20%, now we're starting getting into a little bit of troubles. I think anywhere from like 14 to 18% would be about as much body fat as you had. Like let's say you were 10% you wanted to do a bulk. I think what I would do is I'd start trying to put on some weight, put on some mass. And when all of a sudden I was, you know, had put on some muscle and I got to 14, 15 and that body fat started climbing, I would probably stop it there. I wouldn't stop it at 20. Just because I believe that that will have a negative impact on your androgen profile and your ability to put on muscle and strength and train at a high level. Mm-hmm. Also curious how he's checking said body fat percentage. Uh, he himself doing the calipers? No, Get he's it. probably just looking in the mirror, being like, "I look good." You know, little I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't fucking work. But if you're really serious about it, go out, get a you know caliper test on. You know, go and get a DEXA scan, bod pod. Not that, you know, any one is more accurate than the other, but it's a great measure in a starting place where if you go do it a second time for a test and a retest, now you can see actually like, hey, this one had me at 10, this one had me 11, this one had me at 13. Now all of a sudden I've gained weight. Now how much body fat have I put on? Um, the, uh, the research is just very, very definite that fat is extremely oxidative. And can really fuck a lot of things up, especially when you put it on rapidly, especially around the midsection, you know, in that uh, um, inter or intra abdominal uh, area. So um, just look, you know, uh, just be very, very cognizant if you're putting on a ton of fat kind of in that spare tire area and also carrying a lot of fat in the butt and the thighs. Would you recommend a maybe a coach to help guide? I would definitely recommend a nutrition coach, kind of like we have with our nutrition ninjas with uh, Sam and Rob to kind of guide them on this. I believe uh, that uh, like 
when you're in the middle of it doing it yourself, and I, I heard a bodybuilder make a pretty good comment. They were asking him like why he bombed out of the show and he was supposed to win and he made a, a bad point where he said, you know, I lost faith in my coach and I decided to take the controls about six or eight weeks before the show and it's impossible to land the plane by yourself. And he fucked up. And he's like, I just, you know, lost faith in my coach. Things weren't going well. I blamed him. I should have been blaming myself. I took control and said, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And he's like, I couldn't land the plane. So I think sometimes you need an objective individual standing off to the sideline, giving you good information, guiding you on this, that's not inside of your own head, that has the ability to, to push outside and say, hey, you know what, I think this is good. Uh, you know, the other issue, and we run into this all too often, is uh, uh, getting blood works expensive. True, but I would rather spend a few bucks, have insurance, and get my blood work done so that nothing jumps out and scares me. You know, I've talked like about vitamin that. A toxicity. Yeah. Like, hey, I listened to this Rhonda, you know, Rhonda Patrick podcast on Joe Rogan. She talked about how great liver is. I'm going to go eat liver. And little did I know that I'm basically hacking my Krebs cycle and I'm going to get vitamin A toxicity, which I'm almost waiting, uh, you know, for somebody to actually discuss that one and being like, you know, what happens when you do too much? And uh, she never has discussed that. And Rhonda Patrick's made a lot of claims with that, but she's never actually said, hey, you know what? We've had somebody that got into vitamin A toxicity, which you don't want to have. If you want to um, pull up the symptoms and see how that goes, don't fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. But when we got Chris's done, uh, they did, uh, um, you know, his, uh, um, what was it? It was his Krebs cycle. Uh -huh. And it was like, <laughs> you know. like half of it was cut off. And they were like, but you're in a highly ketogenic state. Your, your body's producing ketones but you're eating like three to 400 grams of carbohydrates a day some and it was bypassing and dude, you were running into some issues. So. Yeah. Which yeah. Found myself in Arizona all by chance. And it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get some blood, I'll work, get blood, blood work done. You, I'll hang out with Dr. Well, Tom. You get insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I know we have good health insurance. So, so. It's, it was just a, they asked and I'm like, sure. Yeah. Fuck why it. not? Let's get it done. And then it turned out to be an issue. Yeah. The, uh, uh, you know, my advice to people, is, um, and we, we should link up my talk on metabolic flexibility, but that idea of if you want to be the most metabolically flexible version of yourself and you want to be the best version of yourself, try to carry the most amount of muscle with the least amount of body fat without doing something fucking insane. Like, uh, I'm gonna, you know, like the bodybuilders trying to get in shape for the shows. Um, uh, you know, those guys after the show have a ton of metabolic rebound and some really you know, normal hormonal issues because they're pretty much putting their body in a state of like close to death. You know, that's what I, I guess I didn't even think to ask Cutler. Like talk to us like we've, we've seen the, the epic stage performance put on. What's the next three months like? Uh, you, you just know, eat normal? Um, so what's wild is there used to be like the kind of the idea of like, hey, like the feast and the famine, I've dieted. And then those guys go out and they fucking just eat everything and can't control themselves. The problem is, is that once you've starved yourself and done that, when they go put on that weight, it's next to impossible to like get it off the second time. And your body only has so many of those. Yo-yo? Yeah, like like your body, like, like that happens all the time. You'll run into people like, oh, I lost uh, X amount of weight and I had this huge swing and then I gained it all back. Your body will only allow you to do that a few times before it really starts kind of putting some governors on you. So I think the bodybuilders that are really successful are probably guys like a, like a Cutler where he diets down, he does everything, and then he kind of does a little bit of, you know, uh, I think it's Lane Norton's reverse diets deal where they slowly start adding calories back in and they kind of, 
you know, go through this process to hopefully safely get back to like a fairly decent amount of calories uh, so that they don't get into this like binge idea where now all of a sudden they've eaten everything. They put on a bunch of weight gain. They fucking fuck up the metabolism. Everything kind of runs. So I think for to have longevity and we didn't get into this and I'm sad we didn't. But seeing a guy like Jay who's had so much longevity, you know, the fact that he wins his first Olympia at 33, still competes at, at 40, he probably had a very, very specific approach that he had. And I, we should ask him just on an email and be like, hey, next time. Next time. Yeah, we'll get him on again and discuss like, hey, the day after the show. I mean, he, he made a good point, I think, where he was talking about, you know, everybody wants cheap meals. I just wanted water because he had dehydrated himself so much. So maybe he was switched on enough to be like, hey, uh, here was my plan going in. Here's my plan for the time I step off. This is exactly what it looks like, and this is the game plan. Because he doesn't seem like the type of dude to deviate off of the plan. No. Like, this is the plan. I'm going all in on the plan, and there is no fucking plan B. And that's why I appreciated having that dude on and why I liked rapping with him. But at the end of the day, uh, just know that uh, excess body fat fucks up your androgen profile and can negatively affect your ability to gain muscle because it's going to skew uh, a few different factors. Asked and answered. Cool. Double time. All right. So we got cast iron. Mm-hmm. You be an adult. Go back in time, thousand years. Use beef tallow, lard, something uh, that's more animal-based. Don't eat 16 ounces of liver a week. Once a month, three to four ounces. And if you want to get put on muscle, control your body fat. Don't eat like a pig. Don't eat like an asshole. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye.